Hey, just want to remind you, we're going to have DealMaker Live this year in Dallas, Texas, July 16 to 17. Head over to DealMakerLiveEvent.com to grab your tickets. It's going to be in person or virtual, whichever you prefer. I'll see you there. Well, hello, dealmakers. Welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Uh, one of the things I've been doing lately is, is, is just reading out, shouting out some of the reviews that you guys left on iTunes. And uh, this one is from Megan. Michael does such a good job covering a variety of topics. His guests offer awesome advice too. I reckon to show to anyone looking to learn more about real estate investing. Thank you for that, Megan. And uh, I'd love it if you left us a review on the podcast on iTunes as well. And then we'll shout you out perhaps next time as well. So uh, one of the things uh, we want to do here is we want to we want to get uh, Liz Faircloth on the show because she is a powerhouse, an investor powerhouse. And before we do that, let's get our co-host on the show, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? How you doing? Hey, man, I think you're one of the best people at working with brokers and you are systematic at staying in touch with them about keeping in touch with them. But you're also really good at finding new ones and quickly building relationships because, you know, I've observed over the last six to nine months, really, a lot of the action has been off market or semi off market deals. And so I was wondering, what do you do to build relationships with brokers to accelerate this whole process? Because no one has got two years of the time to have our broker to give them an off-market deal. We want it now, Garrett. Yeah, because people want deals now. So if you want a deal now, <laughs> uh, you're going to have to be a little patient because <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> I wish it were that simple. But first of all, you got, you got to commit to the process of building these relationships with the brokers, uh, you gotta you gotta think that you're up against other people in the market that have already done this successfully. So I was sitting down with one of my brokers. I don't call a close friend. That's where you want to get to. Obviously, he said there's a, there's a company that literally flew him out, him and his wife out somewhere, gifted them with like Gucci bags, and put them on like an all expenses paid vacation uh, in like the Bahamas for a weekend. So you're sometimes up against that. <laughs> so see, so which is okay. I don't want that to scare you because I, I've known this for a long time. I never did that, right? We still get deals. Uh, so so what you can do initially is you, you start the conversation and, and just know what you're talking about when you're calling them and have a specific type of property that you're looking for, but not too specific and start to just say like, when I call them, I'll, like if I haven't talked to them before, like, hey, I own something in this market or hey, we're, we own in this market and we're looking to break into this market. And we're, we're very quick with everything that we do. They like speed, think about it. Brokers are incentivized based on speed, right? So if you close fast, they get paid, everybody gets paid faster. So start to use those kind of catchwords in, in how you talk, hey, we, we move quick. Uh, we, we can give you an answer fast. I know you don't know me that well, but I'd love to start to build a relationship with you. So if there's anything that you know about that I can't see right now that's online, that's not online or that I can't see, you send it my way. I'd love to give you to give me a shot to show you how we work. And I think that's saying something similar to that or, or along those lines, is a really good entry point with these kind of brokers. And then you can build it out and, and a really big thing that I started doing was flying into town and meeting with as many as I could while I was in town. And you want to get them to the place where you guys are just friends. You guys can call each other and, and riff about stuff. 
you can you can you have conversations that aren't even about real estate. You can talk about every owner in the market, like whatever it is. We get to that friend level, then you're really in a good spot where you're getting stuff and you're not even not even really having to do that much. And so the goal is to get to that. Start out how I just said, get it to that, get in front of them. That sets you apart big time. I think that's a key. And we've observed this uh, with also of our students because we used to say, hey, don't hop on a plane. Don't spend any money until you have a deal on a contract, which is largely correct. However, we have noticed that people who, quote, violate this rule and hop on a plane before they have a contract, for the reasons you mentioned, are building relationships with brokers faster. And next time they have a deal that more closely matches them, they're more likely to call you up because they want to be, I was going to say lazy, efficient. You know, and not have to put a, a listing package together and blast it to the list, show the property to 20 different tire kickers. You know, they want to be efficient as well. So they're more likely to call you up. And I love it the way you do property uh, visits. Yes, you tour the properties and you're, you're looking at them and you're asking tough questions, but you're also there to tour property and build a relationship with brokers. Yeah. The easiest way to quickly get a meeting with a broker is to go tour their properties that they have listed. And even if you're not going to buy it, it's, it's a writer. If you have an idea, you probably won't buy it, but you want to meet the broker and ask intelligent questions. And then you can get in front of them and, and start to build that relationship on site. And that's a good starting point as well. If you, if you can't get a, you know, a lunch meeting or whatever it is, do it like that. And then, you know, if you're doing that, obviously make sure that you get them an answer on that property right away so that they know hey, where you stand and they'll appreciate that. Our responsiveness is absolutely key. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that. And this is where the action happens. I tell people it doesn't take months to do all these things. It just takes a little time. And, you know, I kind of jokingly said, I want to deal now. Uh, you do have to be a little patient and you do have to be consistent as well. So that is a very, very good point. So let's get, let's pivot here and get into our interview with Liz Faircloth. She is a co-founder of DeRosa Group with her husband, Matt Faircloth, who you may have recognized from Bigger Pockets and a YouTube channel. Crazy Matt. They control at this point about $60 million of, of real estate. Uh, up and down the East Coast. She's also the co-founder of the Real Estate Invest Her community. And this is for women to power them to live financially free and balanced lives on their own terms. She created Get This 40 Meetups throughout the country and in the US, which is amazing. We're gonna talk about community and her podcast and her mission. And she's also part of an Amazon bestseller called The Only Woman in the Room, Knowledge and Inspiration from 20 Successful Real Estate Women Investors. She's been interviewed for many articles and podcasts like this one, Bigger Pockets, uh, Best Ever Show. And she is an avid runner. She's completed several triathlons and marathons. She's got two children and uh, is a New York Mets fan, you know, for better or for worse. That's uh, about Liz. So let's get right in the interview with Liz Faircloth. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Hey, Liz, welcome to the show today. Michael, thank you so much for having me. So, so nice to be here with you. Uh, fantastic. And, you know, I know your husband fairly well, Matt Faircloth as well. And it's very unusual that both spouses are, uh, you know, involved in the business, not just on the real estate side, but also, you know, in the influencer space, which is really cool. Tell us a little about yourself. Sure. So long story short, uh, we started investing about 15 years ago. My husband and I met. Uh, same time we met, we actually started investing and we bought our first property after a year worth of just, you know, taking classes, lo local RIA. Him and I came both from like middle-class families that were wonderful, but no one invested. No one actually had businesses. It was a different like mindset, different world. But him and I uh, read, as many people do, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, played cash flow game. 
And uh, we were both like, we want something more for ourselves. And I was actually getting my degree in social work school. I got my master's degree in social work. He was an engineer, totally unrelated to real estate. Long story short, we took, you know, like I said, we took courses, didn't know anyone, just kind of did whatever we could. A lot of door knocking uh, and found our first property literally by door knocking, going around a little town outside of Philadelphia, found our first property. It was a duplex. So that was 15 years ago. And he quit his job. And then, you know, lots of twists and turns. But our focus is large multifamily syndication. We own and manage over about a thousand units at this point. But I can't say it was like a, a linear road. <laughs> it was a lot of a lot of twists and turns, and you learn a lot, and you grow together, and you don't give up. So, um, but yeah, that's a long and short of how we got started and uh, where we are today. I remember too, 15 years ago it was 2005, I think, yeah. and that was my. That's when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. It was someone yeah. handed to me when it actually came out. But you know, so I took some classes uh, around apartments in 2006, I think, and then I actually started getting, uh, started calling brokers and and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't a lot of training around at the time. No, you certainly couldn't do an online course, and I think these were like two day seminars of some guy yep. teaching stuff. There was no mentorship, so it was you know I looked at my own path to what I did. And it was like yourself, it was not a direct path. And today we have a lot better systems and processes and role models for that. Yep. Now, my question is, you know, why did you also get involved in the business? And and, and this is not, I think when the, the husband and wife are on the same page about something, it's very powerful. In other words, it's if one of them is kind of anti or resisting, it's very difficult for the other person to get stuff done. I find that typically in our culture, you know, the majority are males. They tend to be the breadwinners and going to mm-hmm. work and they're the ones, I need to get out of this job. I need to provide for my family. Oh, I know, multifamily, right? Yeah. And and so then typically, you know, the wife kind of, kind of looks at, you know, crazy husband what's he up again been up too late watching some kind of infomercial and so i think at a minimum getting the the wife on board and supportive of that because it's a family plan i think at a minimum do you have to sit together and kind of say what do what are we trying to do here together okay you're going to do this and i'm going to do that why did you decide to also become active alongside matt yeah and it's funny because i actually read rich dad poor dad first and i'm like you gotta read this book so um and i think i dragged him to the rio meeting so i kind of like he tagged along with me at first when we decided to, you know, we strategically said one of us needs to keep working and then one of us needs to, we're doing this together. We started an LLC together. My father loaned us our first uh, down, you know, our down payment and renovation, 30000 at the time. So, you know, that's before we were married. Um, so we went in this, this together. It was like 50-50. We're in this together. And at the time, we said one of us really needs to be focused on, you know, taking care of our mortgage and bills. And one of us needs to be leading the company full time. And out of the two of us, I actually enjoyed what I did and he didn't. So that was kind of an easy way to figure out, you know, who was going to kind of take on full time. And then I ended up joining him, Michael, a few years later, I quit my job and worked with him full time. And then I got back into the work. So I've had many different roles in our business, whether it's full time or strategic or like I am now, I'm part of the team, but I'm not as in trenches of day to day with some of our projects. So, you know, we've always shared the same values. And I think that's really important. We come at things differently. We have different personalities and, you know, uh, those sort of things where you can butt heads, but we value the same things. So that's always helped us. How can we take this to a different level? But we've always been very aligned there. It wasn't like he's dragging me or I was dragging him. How did you get aligned early on? And what is your advice? Maybe maybe you yeah. already naturally aligned. Sometimes two people just kind of drive together and like, oh, I can read your mind. But what is your advice for couples to kind of get aligned? Because yeah. I find it's not just a husband doing something here on the side, it's something that there or or the wife doesn't really matter. Some there's doing something that will that will change the trajectory of a family. Yeah. So what is your advice of the spouses getting on the same page? 
Yeah. And when you, when we first met, we were writing business plans. We were in our like mid twenties. You, you guys know? are nerds. We're totally nerds. Oh. I mean, most people like partying, like having a great time. And we're like, yeah. we got to write our business plan. I'm like, oh my God, I look back. I'm like, oh, we're having more fun now than we did sometimes in our twenties. That's okay. But yeah, I think, I think a lot of it is, you know, I was a big personal growth person and him as well. I mean, I read like Waking the Giant Within. We both loved different things. And, and we, I had a lot of conversations around where do we want to be in five years? What do we want for our life? And I think that's a big thing couples need to do, whether they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s, really, quite honestly. But where do you want to be? And what do you want to be doing? What do you value? I think people do value similar things. I don't think people go about them the same way, though. I think it also helps. My work, Michael, was also in personality, understanding people's personalities. I did a lot of corporate training. I was literally an expert in knowing people's personalities. So I used that early on, too. Like I think that's a big thing for spouses, especially if they you know, value each other. Who's more cautious? Who's more a risk taker? The guy's not always more of a risk taker and the one's not always cautious. That sometimes the tables are turned. And I have a lot of women in our community who often say, I'm literally dragging my husband along because he doesn't want anything to do with this business. So it's, it's, it's really about knowing who's more cautious, who's more of a risk taker. The other big thing I would recommend is people do a lot of personal growth weekends together. I mean, we went to like one thing is called Landmark Forum, where you look at yourself and you understand yourself and how you're wired. We did a weekend on the, your money personality. That was huge, right? If you don't know one another's like money stories and your hiccups on money, I don't see how anyone could be successful in real estate investing if they are not really clear on how their spouse looks at money, values money. My husband's more of a spender. I'm more of like a saver to a fault sometimes, right? Where he's more of a, uh, in, in the other way. So knowing that about each other, like, so I think the more tools, weekends, work you can do on yourselves and your relationship to get clear on who you are, where you're going, what do you value? And it's a lot of work. It's it's not like, it doesn't happen by osmosis and just chit-chatting with your neighbor. It's like, you got to do the work if, if you really want like something different. How did you guys manage the time around that? So you, you obviously you guys are working, you know, full-time, you're trying to build this business and you got kids, right? At the time too. No, we didn't. So like, I think that I think that was one thing that I would say helped because now I do have little ones. So it's a different world, right? You know, you have little kids um, or any age, it's like they take a different focus. It's a different, you know, you're not just like, oh, they can take care of themselves. My four-year-old needs needs a lot more of me than than just, you know. So at the time, we actually didn't have kids for about eight years until until we, you know, had kids later. So we really kind of looked at our ba- our business as our baby. And we just, you know, that was one thing. I I also think too, Garrett, we were really like laser focused. So, you know, when people were overspending on housing or overspending on vacations, we were, you know, looking at property. It's not that we didn't have fun, but I think we we all get the same amount of time and you have to choose how you spend your time. And I think that was a big thing we did early on. We both valued living below our means. So we lived in like a townhome, a row home for many years up until three years ago. And we just, you know, we just said, if you make nothing in real estate, we do zero. <laughs> I know I can handle the mortgage and the bills. And that was one of the best things we did. We didn't like do what everyone else does where they get into like the single family home and they're chasing the dollar versus managing their life. So I hope that answers it. Yeah. In, in our situation, my wife, she, we homeschool our four kids. So she was really, I, was, I sometimes jokingly say, runs that side of the business, right? Yeah. Uh, and she does a really good job. And she kind of let me do the, the financial stuff. Yep. And she didn't really, never got into personal development stuff. She was reading curricula and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that, that's great. It just didn't, was important until 
you mentioned some of these uh, retreats that you did. And Tony went on a goal setting retreat, mm-hmm. and she, you know, she was kind of the the unwilling slash willing victim that comes. She just did it kind of as a favor to me because I was like, you have to go and set goals together. Yeah. She goes, oh my gosh, what a bunch of horse manure, and that shifted her perspective on goal setting actually. Yeah. And so now, uh, not that we were on the same page. I think you said uh, you're aligned by values. I think that's really important. That you, you have to be aligned in values. You want the, right, the same things in life. And, but then you got to take it a step further. It's okay, what, what exactly do you want? You have to kind of architect it. It sounds like you guys were very intentional in doing that. Uh, we didn't really start getting very intentional about until about, I don't know, four or five years ago as a more of a family. I've been, you know, I've been a little more intentional a little longer than that, but not as, as a family. So I think that's been a game changer uh, for us as well. So, yeah. so how did you guys split up your roles in? So you got this duplex, you got the real mm-hmm. estate bug. You're like, I got the five-year plan. And how did you guys split up your roles and how did you then begin to grow that business? Coming from the corporate world of knowing that people have different strengths, we know we all know that. But I and that was my expertise. So you would have thought I we would have been much more intentional about some of those things. But you know, I think unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to say it, but we got into whatever needs to happen, we delineated from there. So um, you know, Matt took on I I took on more of an active role, some of our property management, uh, creating processes and systems and putting a process in place, those sort of things then units need to be cleaned. We did that. We literally did everything early on. And it was just like, we both come from very hardworking families. So it's like, you're just, my dad cuts his grass. Like my dad has the money to hire someone to cut his grass. He cuts the grass. It's still to this day. My, my, my father's 75. He cuts his own grass. So that's my upbringing, right? So I say that because we could have been or should have been a little more strategic in how you delineate roles, responsibilities. It all comes back to skills. I know this now, but still skills, experience, and personality, right? And you need to delineate from basis those three things. And also just interest, right? So I was doing the bookkeeping and there was months, Michael, early on that I missed the mortgage payment because I'm not a I'm not an analytical person. I'm not that I mean I'm not that I'm bad with numbers. I would never say that. I actually like numbers. I understand numbers, but I just wasn't good at bookkeeping. I don't know. It just wasn't a good skill set for me. And that's like, I'm firing you from this job. We are firing you from this job. And there's been times that he's doing something like, you need to stop doing that. You're really good here. So I wish we got it a little sooner in our trajectory of our business and our life. But um, I think over the years, we really have gotten better with that and gotten better with, okay, this is what you need to be doing. This is what I need to be doing. So, you know, so Matt, great at building relationships and raising money. So he's helped we've built a team where we have more operators and more people that are analytical and technical and drivers on the team. Because my husband's more big picture and likes to enroll people and talk to people. And that's what he's good at. Right. So, and then for me, you know, there's been roles in the business that we've evolved to for me, like where I'm able to be brought in. Okay. Liz, we really need some help here. Like, um, you know, let's look at this a little differently. We have a few buildings that are just, we're struggling with and okay, let's look at this differently. So I've been brought into like creative, like outside the box, but you know, not into the throes of things. I also look at things a little differently because I'm not in the day-to-day. So Matt really uses me as like this strategic view of what's happening and okay, maybe we need a twist here and he's putting a fund together now and I'm kind of more involved in some of those ideas and let's have a board and just, just things you learn along the way. So yeah, I think you you get better over time, but you know, I wish I always say to people, figure out your skills, your experience, your passion, and your personality, and you should delineate basis of that. I love it, and you got so much energy, Liz. I, I it's fantastic. So, <laughs> at what point? When, so you there was a period in time where you were going to shift away from your job, 
And how did that go? Is it just like you knew it or, or was it, was it kind of tough to, to fathom at the time? Take us back to that. So I did it twice, actually, Garrett. Once I failed <laughs> the first time, I actually failed. It didn't work great the first time. The second time it worked a lot better. So the first time was 2008. And I said, I'm going to quit my job. Now, a lot of people are very strategic. You hear a lot, a lot smarter people than me say, well, you know, we had, a, we had enough rental income coming in and we had enough of this and that. We had enough in savings. And, and that was our, you know, we didn't have kids. We're like, screw it. If we, if we totally bottom out, we have enough in savings for a year to last us. And we were in our 20s. We were naive. We didn't have much to lose. We're like, let's do it. So I, so I quit my job, the work, the work I was doing. And then the market crashed. <laughs> and some of our purchases, like we, we bought a few homes we were going to flip, didn't end up flipping. We had to convert to rentals. We bought an office building with the thought of we're going to get a commercial tenant. We had zero interest right when the market crashed. So, you know, we had a lot of kind of challenges right when I quit, literally. We worked through them. We also were in each other's stuff. I was like, where are you at with this, Matt? And where are you at with that? And I'm sure if if there's if there's any spouses listening to this, right, you don't want to micromanage manage your spouse, right? And I was doing that to like, when I'm not busy and focused and I don't think things are going well, I used to do that like horribly, my poor husband. So I don't do that as much now. There's moments I do it. But, well, let me ask you about that because my yeah. wife and I don't work together very well in a professional yeah. environment, right? Because I like to hold people accountable, right? Yeah. Yeah. I say, Vivian, where's this thing you said you'd do by five o'clock yeah. Eastern today? And she does not react kindly to that kind of accountability, yeah, right? So <laughs> how do you and, and, and Matt do this? Because obviously you're wearing at least two hats, right? You're business partners in a mm-hmm. professional environment, but then you're also, you know, husband and wife where your communication and, and grace period is a little different than say an employer or partner. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's why the first time didn't work, Michael. So the first time I quit my job, you know, one, we were just surviving, right? So financially, emotionally, Matt turned to me is like, if we don't change something, like we're going to get a divorce. And this is like right at the height of the, of the crash. So financially we're experiencing like, what, what the hell did you just do losing your, you know, moving on from your job? And so at that point we weren't delineating roles correctly and we weren't mm. thriving in any part of our business. We just had this small rental portfolio that we we're trying to make, make do and make, you know, make right. So when I quit the second time, which was 2013, I had my son. And at that point, we started getting to our stride of building out our multifamily. And that's the biggest thing is when you get focused, like great things happen, right? We were involved with so many different things when the market crashed. And when I left my job first, we were flipping, we were doing this, we were doing that. And we had a multifamily properties. So we went all in on multifamily, not went all in, but focused, right? And got really focused on that and building with other people, building, invest, you know, working with investors, et cetera. And then that grew. And then I, we saw that happening. Like 2010, really things started to get better and our business started to improve. And I said, I'm leaving when I when we have Zach, because we, we had our first child 2013. We were starting to make you know more rental income, right? Good things were happening. Not perfect, but definitely better than when the market crashed. I said, I'm quitting and and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be I'm, we talk about this. Are you gonna be the primary parent? Or am I gonna be the primary? Like we had a discussion about this. It wasn't assumed that I was going to be just because I'm the woman. And we talked about it and I said, you know what, I, I would like to. And he's like, okay. And I said, I still want to do things professionally. I want to help our business. And then quite honestly, what really helped us was me getting involved in a different business that didn't involve my husband. So what really worked the second time is that I'm not, not that I'm not involved in our, 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 our real estate business because I am, but I also have another focus, which is the investor community and, and, and really I have another partner, right? And, and so for us, we thrived so much better as a married couple when we both had kind of like, 
don't want to say separate businesses because I, I am involved, but it's not this, we're literally sitting next to each other every day and I'm holding him accountable. He's holding me accountable. We both kind of have, we're very similar people, actually. We're very similar personalities. So it just doesn't work when we're both like, 100% into something together. We work really well specifically and like strategically and like, Liz, this is a project and we work great. But if I had to work every day with my husband and he had to work with me every day, I don't, I don't know if it would work as well, to be honest with you. Like day-to-day into the trenches. Um, that's why I love that I have another area, another business I'm growing and thriving in because right. it's just giving me space to kind of be who I am with another person. <laughs> so that's what was different well, the second time around. There is probably some level of accountability, but it's not day-to-day like you said. It's not like you have right. daily meetings and daily check-ins, right? No, we still have monthly business meetings. We right. still do that. We talk about where we are, what's working, what's not. So we're still having those. Yeah, those are those are critical. Yeah. I think it's a, that's a that's a good measuring stick for any kind of partnership, even for us with with Garrett and Drew at, at Nighthawk, right? You know, there are certain things that we hold each other accountable, but really hold each other accountable for the major rocks, right? The major thing that we're going to do this this month or this quarter. I'm not going to call Garrett every hour on the right. hour, going, "Hey, Garrett, how you doing with that? How about now? How, how is it going? What are you doing with that?" <laughs> right? Like it would drive him crazy. It would probably drive well drive me crazy as well. And I think if everyone's got their ownership, and like I think the the definition of roles is very important. You know, you're going to find the deal. I'm going to find the, the money, something like that, right? I think those work very, very well. Things where you're both kind of working on it together, like that's, first of all, there shouldn't be two of you doing the same thing. That's right. You know, even in a professional situation, whether it regards of your spouse or not. Duplication, yeah. Duplication. Now, you mentioned your your community, the real estate investor community, which is written invest and then her at the end. So tell us about that a little bit more. Sure. So you know, at the time, a few years ago, right right around the same time I had, my son was young. Um, we were doing, we were looking for different partners. Me and Matt started to get a little smarter. We can't do everything ourselves, nor do we want to. So we started partnering. We met our you know, new partner. Her name was Andressa and her husband at the time, and they were flipping properties in Philadelphia. So we met and became friends and, and cultivated a relationship. And her and I started a women's mastermind in real estate and just support each other on Zoom well before, is actually Skype, well before people were doing a lot of stuff virtually, right? Two years in, just got to know each other, started partnering on some deals. We did some new construction together. We partnered on like a handful of projects in Philadelphia. And uh, her and I were getting together. We were actually like hiring um, a realtor for one of our, for our new construction project. I went into Philly. We were just chatting afterwards, having coffee, her and I. And, um, you know, I turned to her and I'm like, it'd be really cool if we can bring more women together in this business. And there are women in this business, but you know, it's just like any male oriented adopt, especially when it comes to investing, it's still fairly male oriented. And, and, and we said, you know, nothing, nothing against men, but it'd be nice to have some, some more camaraderie and Andres is in construction. Like she knows construction really well. She ran all the construction projects. So she experienced investing in a very different way than I have, you know, because I wasn't as on the front lines in terms of construction. I know enough to make me very dangerous from here, but you don't want me running construction jobs, to be honest with you. She was, that's what was her role in our in our partnership. So she experienced different things very differently than I would, you know. And I said, she's like, Yeah, we definitely be great. And did do, 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 do. And we said, Well, what do you know, what can we do? And we really started this out of just like pure passion and that we wanted to give back. And we also wanted to keep the circle going of just sharing of knowledge. So we started the podcast and we said, We're gonna interview only women. And I early on had met, I had Good friends of mine who are men say to me, you're, you're going to run out of women. I don't think there's that many women who invest. I just don't think so. I'm like, I'm sure we'll be okay. We're 160 episodes later and I 
I mean, book through, you know, three, four months out, you know, so there's lots of women investing and they just don't always promote themselves. They're a little more under the radar. They're really successful women though. And so we started the podcast that led to like a Facebook community, uh, which, uh, you know, was just women helping each other. And then we said, let's do a meetup. Let's do something in person. And her and I started one in Philadelphia. And in our Facebook community, all these other women from other states would be like, I want to, I want to have an investor meetup here or there. We're like, that's awesome. But I can't get to uh, Austin, Texas, although it's amazing there. I, I don't think I could run a meetup there physically. So we had that person started. And now we have 40 meetups. We have two in Canada. Um, our goal is to have a meetup in every single part of the country and the world. And the goal is to have like a safe space for women to get support. And some people are like, safe space. What are you doing? Do they really need a safe space? Yeah, a lot of women do because they don't feel like they get support. They don't feel listened to or heard and they have questions and they don't want to feel like they're morons. Um, they want to give and get support. And so women, we start with a little tribe and women really appreciated it and just kind of grew from there. And we're doing some other things as well in terms of like an annual summit and we have a membership and we're hearing what women want and need and, and have developed a business into it as well. I just want to share with you that over the last six weeks, our mentoring students closed four deals. So it's six people. There's two joint ventures. And I'm just really excited what we're doing there. In fact, uh, a good number of our mentors, uh, the ones that are providing the coaching, are previous students who did their first deal, quit their jobs, and decided to help others do the same thing. So I'm really excited about what we're doing there in that program. If you think that mentorship is valuable, you value mentorship, you think it can accelerate your goals and uh, eliminate some of the bigger mistakes you can make, then check out our mentorship program at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and schedule a call with us and see if that's right for you. We'd love to have a conversation. Liz, you talk about, uh, you just started like, what is it, 38, 40 meetups? Very nonchalantly, but it's, uh, it's pretty impressive that you're able to scale at that level. How did you do that? You know, I have to say, I wish I had every smart idea, but usually that's not the case. You hear something, you're like, that makes sense, you know? <laughs> so I can't take credit for all the great ideas. I actually talked to Dan Hanford. I have to give him a shout out. Early on, he has a very, he's a, when he, I, I said, we're going to start a meetup here. And then I started to get asked about other locations. And he's got a really neat model, right? Where he has a bunch of different meetups. And I said, that's interesting. And then I heard what other people were doing. And I'm like, there's a pro account on Meetup, like literally a pro account where you can have everyone under an um, umbrella. And we said, that'll be kind of neat. And then we said, let's just put it out there. Who wants to start a Meetup? And then we started to create processes. And because then you have to have order, right? Because you can't be like, oh, well, you know, you're doing this and you're doing that. And you got to have consistency. So we have like a portal set up where women can um, get everything that they need. They have an agenda. They have the script. Uh, they read our mission statement, you know, so it's a little more like, I don't say corporate, but it's, it's organized. My partner's amazing at that stuff, Andressa. She's really like into like systems and processes and those sort of things where I'm like, oh, this is a nice person. Let's, let's have them become a meetup leader and they'll go run with it. You know, I've come to appreciate those things, but I'm not necessarily like, that's how I'm wired. I would forget to do that. And everyone would be doing 40 different types of meetups, to be honest. So we started kind of small where we asked women. And now because of our footprint, as we get out there, we have a lot of women just coming to us. And we've been, you know, a little more strategic, like, hey, we're not on the West Coast much. Let's let's get there. And yeah, people, you know, and then you you, you grow from there. But it's 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 kind of neat. And women have really loved our mission because it's not just to empower women in creating financial freedom, but to do it in a balanced way. To your point, Michael, women wear a lot of hats, right? And men do too, for that matter. Men and women wear a lot of hats, but 
what we've found is women are at the helm of a lot of different roles in their life. So it's not like anyone wants to or can literally spend 90 hours, right, doing this work. So you're wearing different hats. So how do you create that financial freedom for yourself and do it in a a way that doesn't make you crazy or your family crazy or everyone around you crazy. So I think women resonated with that. And it was just very passionate early on. And it was not meant to, we weren't like convincing anyone of anything. <laughs> Most people are like, oh, you syndicate? Your team syndicates? You're, you're even in multifamily? Like I, I don't talk about it every time I'm talking to someone about it. Not that I, I'm probably too self, what's the word of selfish and is another self, not self-serving, whatever it is. But we made it about the community. Like we really want to build a community uh, of women helping each other. So I think that way of being came across to women. I, and I hope, and, and that's how I think we got a lot of women on board and excited to kind of raise the flag, if you will. Going off that, why is building that community so important? Why has it been so important in your life? You know, I, and I have to say the irony is I've, I've always had amazing relationships a, with men. I've worked well with them. So none of what we're doing came from this place of like us versus them, or we want to create a secret society. So we, we're, we're not against anyone. It, it really came from a pure place, Garrett, of like, when I started to look at the research, right? And you say, wow, women are going to outlive men six to seven years, hands down, average. That's the average amount of time I'm going to probably outlive my husband, as sad as that is. And then you start to like, I, you know, I was talking with, you know, you talk to different relatives and, and you're like, wow, that's interesting. Like you don't even know what the finances are. And I'm not judging anyone. I think every family is doing it right for, for their family. I do believe that, but I do see a lot of women like, yeah, I, I want to be doing more of that. Or, you know, I, and there's something amazing about, you know, it's like when you see other women doing something, it's like there's permission, right? There's this natural permission of like, they can do it. I can do it. It's just something about that versus if I'm a woman seeing a man or a man seeing a woman or, or whatever it is. It's just something about that. So as I did the research, I always loved like literally 20 years ago, I wrote a business plan to create an organization to empower women in social work. So and Andressa had the passion of helping women like literally when we didn't know each other. So we've always been very kind of and when I was in corporate, I worked with a lot of women. I love that just empowering women way of being. And then for this, right, it came all together with real estate and, and women. But the key, then you start to do more research, like even during COVID, right? Women have been tremendously more affected than men during COVID, just due to the fact, right, you're, you're losing, whether it's job loss, you're wearing multiple hats, virtual learning. It's like, so there's all these kind of societal things happening yet, you know, is there a space for women to get what they need in a way that they need it, quite honestly. So I, I've become increasingly passionate about it, I think. And I was at the beginning, but now as I learn and I'm around people and learning about these things, it's pretty, pretty fascinating. So you said that people would say that they would you would run out of guests for your podcast because there's not many women investors. And that's interesting to me. Now I know your your scope is all real estate investing, not multifamily specifically. So certainly that narrows it down the scope. I mean, of all Real estate investors, like I don't know what percent, five, four, three, or multifamily investors, like it's a tiny percentage, even in the world of real estate investing. But nevertheless, you made another comment about maybe you said maybe women don't talk about themselves as much. And that's an interesting theory. I, I haven't thought about it in that way. But, you know, in the multifamily space, there are a very small number of women that are active. And the ones that are active, that are very successful, tend not to be vocal. They tend not to be influencers. They're quietly doing their thing, 1,000 yep. units, 2,000 units. Yeah. They're not writing a book. They don't have a podcast, you know, whatever. There are exceptions to that rule. But if you look at a percentage, 
that seems to be the case a little bit. So I'd love to hear your theory about, you know, is it true that there are not as many women, you know, multifamily commercial real estate investors? And do they, in fact, promote them or talk about themselves less than, than maybe men do? Yeah, it's, it's funny because I think there is, you know, I, I cannot, I'm not, I certainly am not an expert in women. I can't, I can only speak from my own experience and the women that I talk to. But I, I think it's interesting because I think I was talking to a woman who's in, as a general contractor, very successful general contractor in Chicago, she runs one of our meetups. And, and, and it is almost like, you know, she'd never done a deal when I was having this conversation with her. I'm like, you literally know, like, and that, that's not unique. That's not, that's not uncommon. You know, I, I think somewhere along the way, I think it has, I mean, again, I, I, there's probably a lot smarter people than me to, to, to go over this, but I think somewhere along the way, Michael, and there's actually a lot of research, I think, when it comes to college and like um, people getting their MBAs and who raises their hand first and who gets called on first, right? So there's a lot of these different things, I think, in society that almost like, you know, it's like it's like a woman boss. She's not being assertive. She's being a bitch, right? It's, it's Excuse me if I'm not supposed to say that on, on your podcast, but it's that, that same type of like, is it being assertive or is it being just like nasty? I think there's a lot of different societal conditioning that happens over time. Mm-hmm. And I think somewhere along the way, women are nurturers, right? And there are men who are nurturers, but generally speaking, right, there's that nurturing quality. I'm very nurturing, but then you want to speak up and you're like, I got something to say here. I want to speak up. And it's like, so there are a lot more women, I think, in multifamily than we realize. A lot, I, I've interviewed a lot of them. And these are successful ladies, you know, they really are. They're just, they are under the radar. So, you know, I, I'm not sure what the solution is, but I think highlighting their journeys, right? And highlighting their journeys for other women to see and for them to get the acclimates and lifting each other up, I think is really what we're, you know, if you will, in the community to do. Um, yeah, I think that is the solution. I, I think you're right. It's, I think I think fundamentally there's a lack of role models. You said earlier, you know, sometimes women need permission to do something. But I, I don't think it's just women. I mean, men tend absolutely. to be a little more assertive, possibly, and they don't need to be necessarily. But still, there's plenty of male role models in real estate investing. Plenty, yeah. right? And I think my observation is that there's not many uh, female role models, as well as, by the way, minority role models as well. Absolutely. Why aren't there more minorities? Well, I think it's the same exact thing. It's not that they're incapable of doing it or they grow up poor or grow up rich or grow up this way. I don't think it's at all. I think there's a lack of of role models. And so I think, you know, I think my call is, and this is why I'm glad I, I, I learned about you from Matt. I'm like, how do you keep Liz a, a secret? You know, she's out there doing a bunch of stuff. I think we need more people like you to shine the light on, on women real estate investors. Because like you said, they are out there, but they're not talking about themselves. But I think it's a shame. Because if you anyone has any kind of amount of success, why are you keeping that to yourself, right? Why do that? Why not share that with, with others? So I think that's what needs to happen. I think more women need to step forward and, you know, you and I and others need to, you know, have a, a, a stage, create a stage for them to, to yeah. be on and then allow them to be on that. That then in turn attracts more people uh, to the business. Absolutely. And, and, then, and then you start to see this like, you know, I, I, I say to my daughter a lot, I mean, I have a four-year-old daughter. So, you know, is she adorable? And is she beautiful? Yes. But I'm like, you're strong. You know, you're unstoppable. I tell her she's unstoppable all the time. So she said, if I had to ask her, what word do you hear from your mom the most? I don't say she's like cute or unstoppable. I'd rather her know that she's unstoppable, quite honestly, that <laughs> she's cute. She is. But you know what I mean? And I think that, and I'm very conscious of that, right? So I'm conscious. And whoever she wants to be, whatever she, she loves dresses. She loves dolling up. And I, I let her be who she is, but I'm going to make sure she knows she's unstoppable versus that she's cute, you know? And, and that's just my small little space in my life that I can maybe, you know, help as the next generation, you know? And I was told I can do anything too with my parents. So 
you know, you just want to keep doing that in your own circles in your own life too. There's an interesting um, thing that I noticed actually because obviously all of our properties need to be managed, but I would say women excel on the management side. You see it all the time. I mean, some of our biggest bulldogs in in our, that help us keep the wheels on the bus value them so much. And I'm sure you guys see a lot of that as well in your industry. So it's, but it's, it's really interesting to, you know, just, just see that you guys have done so well as a couple and, and, and brought, actually, it's funny. I, I went to one of your guys' sites. Uh, you guys have one in, uh, I think it's in, uh, was it, is it in uh, Winston-Salem? Yes. yes. 300 mm-hmm. unit complex over there. Yeah. So when you guys take over a, an asset, how do you, how are you guys tackling that together when you get into something like that? So with regards to like our multifamily team, when we had small multis, it was like him and I, <laughs> and then, and then we kind of like segued into larger multifamily. So when you go from like a 10 unit underwriting and managing and those sort of things, and then we started to build outside of our kind of 30 minute radius rule that we only did early on for the first, you know, many years of our, of our real estate investing. So when, once we did that, where we said, okay, we're buying a 50 unit an hour and a half from our house, we have to build a team there, we have to hire a property management company, very different for us, because we were always very hands on, we self managed everything with a team, we started to kind of build out a bigger team, that 50 unit, no, I'm sorry, when, when, when we went from 50 units to 200 units, in terms of like size, we had someone who was just literally that's all they did was underwrite. They were like an expert at it, right? So was I doing some underwriting? Was Matt good at underwriting? But then it's like, you get into these large multis, you need somebody who, in my opinion, has that as their one of their core geniuses. Like they're really good at underwriting. Like that's what they're meant to do. <laughs> then we found someone to do asset management. So what I find my role now where Matt's kind of leading that team, you know, he is. Um, we're very clear with that. It's not like, you know, I'm leading that, you know, it's, it, we're very clear with our roles. So with that particular, which is our, where our, we're growing in that, in that area, he's leading the team, but I've been helping him assemble the team with different things. And, and that's one, one of the best things I can do quite honestly, because of not only my, my real estate knowledge, but really my, my corporate knowledge, literally that's what I did for corporations across the country was help them form teams. That was what I did for, for 10 years while, while I was working and going back and forth of, of investing. So yeah. And then I go to the, I go to the, I always go to the asset too and give my ideas and suggestions. And, and then I'm kind of, I, every month I'm checking in on what's happening and when to sell, when to buy, I'm always involved in those conversations as well. Day to day. Do I know everything that's happening with every tenant in every building? No, I can't tell you that, but that's okay. Like I, you know, again, it, it works for where we are now. We want to buy vacation rental. I've been leading that part of it up and that's not you know, leading that I'm leading that. So, you know, and I'm kind of checking in with him, like, this is where I'm at. I'm thinking about this, or I'm shifting here. I'm thinking about the shore. Do, 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 do. So I'm leading that. And so we always like, who's the lead and who's the the second and where can I help? And he's been helping because he knows so much too. I, I, I appreciate that because he, he knows that he knows a lot. So yeah, I don't know if that answers, but that's how I've been able to contribute with our multifamily and investor relations. That was my big role before I, we hired someone, I was doing all that where I was the helm of all of our investors, talking to them, helping them, and then we hired someone. So I kind of like to oversee that or just hear what's going on and give ideas to really over, you know, overdo it when you're really supporting people who are literally investing with you. Like, how are you taking care of them? What communication strategies are happening? Um, what can you do above and beyond? You know, because these are people who literally invested with us. They should be taking very good care of. So what's your parting advice to investors who are just starting out, women or otherwise? 
You know, I think it's 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 so easy, Michael, and I know people probably see this for you too because of your success and Garrett, your success. People look at something and go, wow, that must have been so easy for them. That must have taken just like overnight success. My parting advice is that there's no overnight success. That doesn't happen. And so my point in saying that is that it takes time. It takes energy. It takes, wow, that didn't work. Wow, we just lost some money here. You know, like, uh, oh, we're getting sued. Like literally all those things have happened and, and a lot of other things. So just stay the course and don't give up because it's it's just, for me, it didn't happen overnight or for us, it didn't happen overnight. Um, there were a lot of tough things that happened. So don't give up. Literally, just go above beyond with grit and persistence, and you will do just fine in life. That's my opinion. Yeah, and it boils down to why you started this journey uh, in the first place. When you and Matt sat down, we have a five-year plan. We want to be in a different spot five years from now, right? Because failure really is not an option because you were very clear about what you wanted. You were on the same page about that. And you would have let yourself down, which is bad enough, but then you would have let your husband down as well and your your family and and your legacy to some extent. So, yeah, thank you for for that. Liz, how can people find out more about you? Sure, sure. Uh, so in terms of like active real estate projects that are that are happening for us, you can check us out at derosagroup.com. It's always a good place. I know we have an active YouTube channel and lots of good content, things of that sort. Um, it's just derosagroup.com. And in terms of any any of the guys listening that want to introduce us to 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 the women in your life or the women that are listening, check us, uh, you know, what we're up to with our community. It's called the Real Estate Invest Her, H-E-R.com. And you can learn more about our Facebook group or our podcast or just what we're up to on our website. Thank you, Liz. Appreciate you coming on. Love your energy, just like Garrett said. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, dude, she had great energy on the show, I would, I would say. You, I think you picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I was like, whoa! Woke woke up right away. She's she's awesome. Yeah, woman with a mission, you know. And and this is one one thing. This is when I I said, Matt, I can't believe you didn't tell me about your 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 wife. You know, she's literally got a mission to empower women. And and like I said on the show, that's kind of what's been missing. And in this space, there's very few women. And of those, even few are actually out there influencing other women. So I love what she's doing with her podcast and her, with her meetups. So hopefully through that, we'll be able to provide more role mouth for women as, as well. I think a lot of it is about bringing awareness to our industry and that, you know, I've, I've gone to these events like the NMHC events or whatever, where it's just, there's just a strong, you know, male population at the, at these events in general. And, and I think just what she's doing out there is, is so important essentially for for all women to get involved because it's it's definitely can be played very well by the women that are that are in our industry and we've seen it done very well yeah absolutely one other thing she's done very well is creating her community with through her uh meetups and her her podcast and it all started simply by trying to you know serve other women and um and so that community is really really growing i just love that and it's it's something that we've been you know we're doing as well as bringing the community together as well and we talked about our investors. We're trying to create a community out of our investors, which typically are, you know, they're kind of treated a little bit more, you know, shield them from each other. Don't bring them together. You know, that kind of stuff. So community is really important just in general. Yeah. And so with, it sounded like with, with Liz, her situation was she started kind of with a, a mission and organically uh, you saw this community build. And then there was really a big focus put around the community and, and that's what's given other women the power to dive into this industry because they see other people doing it and they feel empowered by what's happening. And, and they, they're in the community, they're all talking, they're sharing ideas. 
And I think that's super powerful um, and, and fantastic that she was able to create that. Yeah. So if you're if you're listening, watching to this, check out her podcast, The Real Estate Invest Her Community. If uh, if you're a guy and you have your your wife, get her to to listen to her podcast and get them to listen to our podcast because it's really important that the two of you are on the same page as we talked about today. If you uh, are interested in possibly passively investing multifamily syndications, we'd love to have, Garrett and I would love to have a conversation with you. Go to nighthawkequity.com and click the join button, fill out a short form, and uh, we'll have a conversation. Uh, Garrett is always out hunting new deals, and I know you're doing it right now, and we'd love to be able to present this with you, but we have to have a conversation with you and get to know you a little better. So head to nighthawkequity.com and click the join button, and we'd love to have a conversation with you. All right, guys, hope you found that inspiring. And uh, use that to take action for yourself and others around you. Uh, catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.